I'm going to introduce our speaker. We're very glad to have Dr. Vest with us today. She has a doctorate in education and uh, lectures in Belgium. Wow. She's written books. Uh, one book. I love your introduction. <laughs> I'm just so, I'm so bad at introductions. You know, all you have to do if you really want to introduce somebody, I'm on Wikipedia. You know, you just like go there and you research it. Should I introduce myself? No. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm new to all this. Okay, uh, you want to say anything about yourself to us? Yeah, I think I should introduce myself. Okay, I think I'm doing a bad job with this, but I think she has much to offer. And that's I think why we're so. here. Right? Sure. Why don't you uh, sit there? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yes, I am, I am a college professor. I teach uh, sociology, history, and education. I have a PhD in educational leadership, so I've done studies in, uh, and my specific area of my thesis was on motivation. So that's the area that I've specialized in. And then I've been a practitioner of bhakti yoga for 41 years. <laughs> now, and one of my grandkids is in college. Does that make me like totally uncool that I'm a completely different generation? <laughs> What's really funny though, I'm just going to tell you as, as you get older, of course none of you believe you're going to get older, but you really are. That when you get older, you still feel young inside. That's because actually, we are not this body. We're not this body. We're a spiritual being inside of a body. We're not actually this body. So it's always kind of a shock to me when I look in the mirror and see that I look like my mother used to look. Because I don't feel that way inside. Huh? Because the soul's always younger. All right. So we want to talk about how we're going to maximize our college experience, how we're going to maximize our college experience. And I'll tell you right now that when I started out as an undergrad, I had the foggiest notion of how to maximize my college experience. Yeah, why don't we close that door? That would be really cool. And it was really only when I got to graduate school, when I had the background in bhakti yoga, that I had some idea of how I could really use a university experience for the, the greatest benefit. Can you all hear me in the back? Because I have no mic. Can you hear me all the way in the back? That lovely lady with the blue bow in her hair. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I think not. Yes. Okay. I wasn't getting any response. Like, okay, she can't hear me at all. So are any of you familiar with Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs? Yes. How, how many of you are familiar with Maslow? Okay, just a few of you. So, uh, by the way, if there's seats closer, that would be cool because I don't have a mic. So Maslow talked about how... There's a hierarchy of needs that on the bottom level, there's physiological needs. So our first phys physiological need is air, right? Which we didn't have any in the other room. By the way, what time do I end? I'm not sure. Just help me with me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Why don't you find it out for me? Okay. He's going to find it out. Great. So our first physiological need is air, which we didn't have any in the other room. And what's our next physiological need after air? It's not water. Hmm? Oh, nourishment. You can go about 20, 30, 40 days without nourishment and still live. Water, you can go about 10 days. What do you have to, you can only go maybe, water, you can go about 10 days without water. Air, you can only go about maybe 10, 15 minutes. What's the one in between air and water? The other reason we moved to this room. 
Temperature. Temperature, we need a particular temperature. So those are our bottom physiological needs. We need to have air, we need to have a certain temperature, right? We don't have bodies that can exist in all varieties of temperature. Then of course we need water, we need food. Then above that we need things like security and safety. And above that we need loving relationships, we need to do something meaningful. So he had this list of higher and higher needs. Now he had a theory which has since been, I would say pretty much disproved, that you can only look for the higher needs once you have the lower needs met. And people said, well, if that was true, there wouldn't be any starving artists. <laughs> that people will sometimes look for their higher needs even if they don't have their lower needs met. But he called the highest level of need self-actualization, self-actualization. And what he meant by that is where you find your place, where you're doing like what you're really meant to do, where you feel that you're being fully yourself. Now, there's other researchers, one called Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, who did a, a, some very nice research on something he called flow. And if you're not familiar with that, I would suggest you familiarize yourself with it. It's quite interesting. So what he calls flow is when you're in a situation where work becomes play. Work becomes play, and time and space go away, where you're so absorbed in what you're doing that it just seems that you're playing, even if you're working. Everybody have experience with something like that, right? You know, you're doing something, and it's just, I mean, for myself, now I didn't bring one for this presentation, but for myself, I love to create multimedia presentations. Not just ordinary PowerPoints where you just flip through and there's bullet points, but I love to create presentations that have, you know, semi-animated pictures and music that goes along with it, and, and working out all the fonts and arranging it. And when I'm doing something like that, I get into the state of flow, where I don't, I don't remember what time it is, I forget that I'm supposed to eat, you know, hey, it's time for lunch, I'll be there in a minute, I'll be there in a minute, I'll be there in a minute, you know, and everybody else is eating, and I come, everything's cold, and it's time to go to sleep, and you're like, oh, I have to go to sleep, do I have to go to sleep? Hey, you all have that experience? Okay. You've never had that experience? We want to try to find that place where we're in flow. Now, a place where we're, that's our original natural spiritual state. Our original natural spiritual state. Our unembodied state. Our state before we entered into a body. And our state if we to, were to attain to spiritual perfection is a state of eternal flow where we as a soul in our original spiritual state live always in the present in the original spiritual reality there's no such thing as past and future it's always the present and one is always in a state of meaningful play you know often in this world you have a choice between doing something that's meaningful and valuable and contributing to society and doing something that's play right? People think, okay, I have my, my work, that I do my work, and then I do my recreation. And they're two separate things, and my recreation is, is useless, <laughs> except as a means of rejuvenation and recreation. But it doesn't really contribute to my betterment. It doesn't really contribute to society. And my work is contributing to meeting my physiological needs, maybe my social needs, and maybe contributing to society's needs. But I don't, I don't get that sense of play. So our original spiritual state is that we do things that are full of meaning and full of value and also playful and we're fully absorbed in the present because in the ultimate spirituality there is no such thing as material time and space 
So our perfection as human beings is to find that state of flow, to find that state where we are fully and completely ourselves. We are doing something that's meaningful and valuable and that is just like play. Now, another name for this, if any of you are familiar with yoga, is called samadhi. Any of you ever heard of samadhi in yoga? Any of you ever heard, who's ever heard of the term samadhi in yoga? Anybody? So just one of you. So you've heard of people who do meditation in yoga. I don't mean just the kind of, just the exercises. The exercises in yoga are meant to put the body in a state where you can naturally enter into a meditative trance. And the whole goal of yoga, to sit in a certain way, to breathe in a certain way, is that then your whole consciousness becomes completely focused on one thing. And again, perceptions of time and space go away, and you enter into this state of flow. And that's what we're looking for, my dear friends, in everything that we do. We're, we're trying to find this state of total focus and absorption where everything becomes like play, everything becomes enjoyable, and we are fully ourselves in a place of meaning and value. What, if, if you analyze every single thing we do, that's what we're looking for. Whether it's eating a good meal, whether it's watching a movie, whether it's doing a certain activity, we're looking to find a place where I, I, I belong. I'm myself. I'm fully and completely myself, and I fit. I have some value to something greater than myself. And I become so completely absorbed in, in a state of euphoria, in a state of great happiness, that nothing external affects me. Does that make sense to everybody? Isn't that what we're looking for? Is that what we're looking for? Okay. So it's quite interesting that if you can achieve this to some degree on a material level, to some degree on a material level, if you find out what your talents are and what your abilities are and what your interests are and use that in the service of society. So a lot of people understand that that's what the purpose or one of the purposes of a university education is. I mean, people might think, well, the purpose of a university education is so I can define my career and I can make money. But if the career you find to make money doesn't put you in a state of flow, you're not going to be achieving your full potential in life. You're going to have a life that's not fully experienced. So on the material level, we can think that university is a chance where I can find, I can experiment with different things and find, okay, what sort of things put me in that kind of state? What sort of things put me in that kind of state? Because each of us has, again, what it, what it is, is we're looking for two main things. Being fully who I am. And where I can contribute. And have meaning. Where I fit. Because we're not just satisfied with being fully who I am. But we want to be fully who we are as part of something bigger than ourselves. As far as something that has more meaning than just our own life. And on the material level, university is a place to find that out as far as your whole life and your future. But you don't have to be thinking, because we talked about the state of flow as meaning that past and future go away. That you're in a sense of where time and space goes away. 
So what we really want to do is not only do we want to have the university prepare us for being able to have that kind of life in the future, but we want to be able to be prepared to enter into that state now while we're in the university. Do we really have a problem because we started late? Is that our problem? Sorry. I'm really sorry that we started so late. So what we want to do is we want to try to enter into that state now, in the present, because all we ever have is the present. We don't have anything else but the present. The future, in one sense, never exists, isn't it? Yes? I'm sorry. You're late. Yes, I'm sorry. We started by you. So because it's constantly, what we're doing is we're constantly going to a state of now, isn't it? And so if in the university what you're focused on is how can I, how can I get to that state of flow later when I'm 30, when I'm 40, then you're missing the opportunity of entering into it now. So in order to be able to enter into that state at every moment, just staying on the material level of what are, my, what are my material talents, what's my material personality, is not going to be sufficient. I mean, if we think of it as who I am, okay, so who I am is the real me, the real spiritual self, the mind, and the body. So on the platform of mind and body, we have a certain kind of personality, we have certain talents, maybe we're really good at music, maybe we're really good at sports, maybe we're really good at interpersonal relationships, maybe we're really good at intrapersonal meditation and introspection, maybe we're really good at math and logic, maybe we're really good with language, maybe we're really good with science. On, on this level, maybe we're really good with being at the front of the room and, and being a leader, and, or maybe we're really good with being at the back of the room and being a team player. Maybe we're really good at getting things done. Maybe we're really good at organizing people. I mean, there's a whole list of things that we're good at, and when we act in that place that we're good at, we can get this sense of flow. That's on the level of the body and the mind. And then there's the level of the ultimate me. On the level of the ultimate me, for most of us, we don't even see it. We have a sense that I exist beyond the body. I mean, we must, because we used to have a little baby body that's, that's gone. You know, if we took everyone's baby pictures and put it up on the wall, we wouldn't be able to match it, would we? It's a different body. It's not just grown up, blown up like a balloon. So, you know, I have a sense of identity. I'm the same person who was two years old, and I'll be the same person if I live to be 90. You know, and if we took the pictures at two years old and at 20 and at 90, we wouldn't be able to match them up. So I have an identity beyond the body. We know when somebody dies, the body's there, but we say, oh, you know, my mother's gone, my friend's gone, although the body's there. So we all know that we have a sense of that we exist beyond the body, but we generally can't access that. So to be in a full state of flow, we want to be able to access this real me. And the way to access this real me is, of course, to engage in, pra in spiritual practices. That, that awaken that true and eternal self, that, that, that get us to know who I really am beyond all of the masks and the pretenses and the 
the people that I pretend to be, isn't it? Yes? If we're honest, we have to be aware that we really, what we really do in this world is just have a lot of different personas. And we try on, okay, I'm going to have this mask at school and this mask for my family and this mask with my friends and to really find out what the real me is. So if I'm going to have full spiritual flow, it's got to be on all of those levels. It can't just be on the level of the body and the mind. And the same here with making a contribution and finding real meaning and finding where's my place, where can I be fully who I am and yet at the same time contribute to something greater than myself. So people greater than themselves, they usually think, well, family, I can contribute to my family, or maybe I can contribute to my race or my ethnicity, you know, some sort of group or my country, you know, or all of humanity, right, or to the whole planet. So we would say, go bigger than that. <laughs> what about the universe? What about even bigger than that? What about where do I fit with God? Where do I fit with all of reality? Where do I function with the sum total of reality? Because when we really try to find where we fit, we have to figure out where is the center. When we're looking for this, I'm, I'm going to be, do something that's going to contribute to these. It's because we're thinking that those things are the center. That's what gives us meaning, if I can connect to the center. So I know I'm not the center. I'm not the center of my family. My family isn't the center of the town where my family lives. That town isn't the center of my country. My country isn't the center of the world. The world isn't the center of the solar system. The solar system isn't the center of the galaxy. The galaxy isn't the center of the universe. And according to our uh, Vedic scriptures from India, the universe isn't even the center. There's lots and lots of universes. <laughs> and ultimately, the center is God. So to know where I fit with God, to know where I fit with the real center, then I come into total flow. So to look for opportunities in university, how can I use this time in the university to really find myself on all three levels? To discover what puts me in flow. Sometimes people call it finding your element. To find where I feel most alive. Where I feel most alive. Where do I feel most myself? And where do I feel most myself where I'm making a contribution to the center? And then not to just be oriented for the future, not just that I'm in university to prepare, but I'm in university to experience that now because all we ever have is now. And I really mean now. I mean this moment while you're here in these chairs in this room. To, at every moment of our lives to look for how can I find that way where I can always be fully who I am and fully contributing to the real center in every moment. And if one does that, oh, thank you so much. When do we have to end? Nobody knows. Huh? That if I, if I can do that, then my whole life is going to be full of meaning, isn't it? Does that make sense to everybody? If at every moment of my life, 
If at every moment of my life, in every situation, I am connecting with that center, I'm being fully who I am, then my life's success doesn't depend on anybody else, nor does it depend on any kind of future. I don't have to put my hopes and dreams in the future. I mean, when you're putting your hopes and dreams in the future, then most of our life is spent in unhappiness. So if you're in university in that mood, you're only getting a fraction of the benefit. You know, future means, okay, I work, I work, I study, I work, I study, I work, I study. Okay, enjoy. You know, it's kind of like planting a tree. You plant a tree, and once a year you get a fruit. So you plant a tree, you water it, you weed it, you fertilize it. You're working, 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 then fruit. Then working, 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 fruit. Working, 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 fruit. What are you spending most of your time doing? Working. And the fruit might not be there. Might be sour. Maybe the birds ate it. <laughs> Somebody else stole it. You know, so it can be working, 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 maybe fruit. Working, 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 maybe fruit. Do we have absolute control over whether we get the fruit? No. That means we're always in anxiety. It means we become future-oriented and you're always in anxiety. Will I get the fruit? Will I get the fruit? I'm in university. I'm working so hard. Will I get the kind of job I want? Will I make enough money? Will I have this? Will I have that? And you might and you might not. Then even once you get the fruit, you just start thinking again about the next one. You know, okay, I'm working, 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 working to pass this exam and pass this course. And you pass that course. Then you worry about the next course. Then you worry about the next course. Then you worry about graduation. Then you worry about finding a job. Then you worry about finding a life partner. Then you worry about... And it's always... My, my happiness is always somewhere over there. And every once in a while, maybe, I taste it a little bit, and then immediately I'm again working for over there. So in that kind of a life, my dear friends, you're practically never in the flow. Practically never in the flow. And your life may look successful. You know, maybe you get the high-status career, and you get the big house, and... You have your beautiful romantic partner, your handsome romantic partner, and your intelligent children, and they also get the high-status jobs, and you have your Jaguar, your BMW, and your big flat-screen TV, and I guess you have to have a dog, too, right? <laughs> right? And, and maybe from the outside, people look at it and say, oh, here's a successful person. But people who have that, but are always future-oriented and fruit-oriented, they're not feeling success, and they're not feeling happiness. Whenever we're future-oriented and fruit-oriented, it prevents us from being in our natural spiritual state, which is to be in flow. It puts us in a state of constant anxiety. What it says in the Bhagavad Gita, sochati kanchati, hankering and lamenting. That one is lamenting for the past. Oh, if only I had done this, if only I had done that, I should have done this, I should have done that. And hankering for the future. When I get this, I'll be happy. 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 Now, it's a shame that generally people present a university experience as exactly that kind of thing. That you're not supposed to be happy in university. That you're just supposed to be working for a future of happiness. You know, that that they're, they're putting you in this concept that being in school is being future-oriented. Now, it was interesting, when I was getting my PhD, especially the last six months or so, I often thought of a very good friend of mine who had died in a car accident three months before getting his PhD. And I thought, you know, I, I might die before I finish my degree. 
if, if my getting my degree is future-oriented, if I'm thinking, when I get my degree, then I'll be happy, but I might not get it. It might never happen. Why should I not be in the flow now? Why should I not be in the flow now? So it's not... To come to spirituality doesn't mean that you reject the material situation, but it means you use it quite differently. You use it to figure out, okay, who am I? These, are, these should be our two big questions. Who am I? your life gets worked out. When you figure out those two things, you'll automatically have good study habits. You'll automatically do your best in your classes. You'll automatically have good relationships with other people as far as possible from your end of things. I mean, you can't always control other people's end of things. You'll automatically be a happy person. You'll be a happy person whether you're healthy or sick, whether your professor is considerate or inconsiderate. I had some of both. <laughs> I had some incredibly inconsiderate professors and some incredibly considerate ones. But when you're in the flow, it doesn't matter. Your happiness is coming from within. Your happiness is coming from being fully who I am and completely fitting in my place in all of reality, Com completely fitting in my place in the center. So that's what we teach. We teach how to do that in the Hare Krishna movement. That's what we're teaching how to do. And we're teaching how to do that on all of these levels. On all of these levels. So if we're going to start with the level of mind and body, we teach that in a system of what's called Varna and Ashram. Some nice Sanskrit names there. So varna means how you make a livelihood. And basically what the science of varna is, is it takes all of the thousands of different kinds of livelihood and categorizes them into four main categories. And in each category it explains, all right, if this is who you are, if this is yourself, if this is the sort of situation where you're in flow, this is also the way that you can connect with the center. So there's thousands and thousands of occupations, and it puts them in four categories. And in the first category are people who are interested in truth, in philosophy, in science, in spirituality, understanding things, in truth. These are people who may become religious leaders or teachers or scientists or poets or philosophers 
or some people were intellectually or spiritually or scientifically leading society in the realm of ideas. So if that's the place where you find flow, working with ideas, working with philosophy, working with poetry, people who have this, this nature, they like, they're not particularly interested usually in earning a lot of money and having the big house, but they're usually interested in things like peace and forgiveness and being balanced and that kind of thing. Being in harmony with the world. So if that's what you find is your nature, then the way you connect that with the center is you become a protector of truth. Now in our modern society, a lot of the scientists and philosophers are exploiters of truth. Isn't it people study psychology so they can figure out how to get you to buy something you don't need? Isn't that terrible? It's really awful. Do you know that a lot of the food that's being sold now is actually designed by food scientists to imitate fresh and healthy food? So they study what kind of texture, what kind of crunchiness, what kind of combination of salt and sugar and fat makes us really excited about eating because our bodies are programmed to eat things that are healthy for us. And so things that are healthy have certain textures and certain flavors. And then they imitate that and create some chemical food in the laboratory that fools your body into thinking that it's healthy so you'll eat a lot of it and buy a lot of it. So that's exploiting truth. Does that make sense to everybody? These are people where they're studying truth, they're studying science, they're studying philosophy, they're studying medicine, they're trying to understand the nature of reality, but they're using it to exploit people and to hurt people for their own gain. So the science of the Vedas is, no, you, if, you, if that's your nature, if your nature is you love the realm of ideas and you love the realm of philosophy and you love the realm of science and you, you want to understand how things work and what's the underpinning of things, if that's, if that's who you are, again, on the body-mind situation, then the way that you're going to connect with the center is you become a protector of truth. You live a life where you give up caring, am I rich or not, am I famous or not, am I honored or not. I'm just going to speak the truth, whatever it costs me. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I speak and propagate the truth for the benefit of society for the benefit of the whole. And ideally, such persons find independent sources of income. So they can't be manipulated by government and they can't be manipulated by business. As soon as an intellectual is under the pay of business or government, there's a chance that they're going to be destroying the truth instead of protecting the truth. Then the Vedas teach us that the next main category is those people who really like to take care of people. They really like to protect people. They like to make sure that people have what they need, that people are being taken care of, that people have a decent place to live, good food and good water, that they're protected, that they're safe. So typically, that would mean governments. Now, of course, our modern governments, again, like the modern intellectuals are exploiting truth, the modern governments are mostly exploiting the people. Give me your taxes and I'm going to spend it on my own mansion. You know, That's the, the view of the governments. So the very people who are supposed to protect us are often the people engineering the crime. So if you find that who you are is a protector of people, a carer of people, then the way that you connect with the center 
is to protect people in such a way that everybody can find their area of flow. That's really the mission of government. Really the mission of government is to help every single person be in a safe, protected environment where they have everything they need for their life and they have full facility to find where can I fit with the whole. So if you figure out, okay, that's the kind of person I am, then you want to have a life that's geared to that kind of protection. Then in our next circle are those people who are interested in wealth. So people interested in ideas, people who are interested in people, people who are interested in wealth. So people interested in wealth, these are people who are going to generate wealth. Now, real wealth comes from natural resources. Real wealth comes from the earth, mostly from the earth, and to some extent from the water, and to some extent from animals. So we get our genuine natural wealth primarily from the earth, and to some extent from water and animals. So if that's our inclination, if we're, if we're really interested, I mean, everybody needs some money to live, I'm not talking about that, but if you're really interested in money, really interested in wealth, if you measure your success in that way, if that's what puts you in flow. Now in modern society, the people who are interested in wealth are again exploiting wealth. First of all, they often have false wealth, just wealth in the computer screen, you know, wealth in numbers. It's not real wealth. My daughter-in-law's father told me that after the financial problem of 2008, he lost half his money. Well, what does that mean, you lost half your money? <laughs> that means the money is all imaginary. Do you follow? It's imaginary wealth. Real wealth, you can't, you can't lose like that. If you have land, you have land. If you have animals, you have animals. Wealth, land, animals, precious metals. And so these are the food, clean water. So if that's your nature, that you're interested in those things, then the way to connect with the whole is then to protect the natural resources and the animals. Again, the people today with this sort of inclination, they're exploiting. They're exploiting the land, isn't it? They're exploiting the land, they're exploiting the water. How horribly people are exploiting the animals is beyond even discussion. So if that's our inclination, then the way we use that inclination to connect with the whole is say, okay, I'm going to be a protector. I'm going to protect the land, I'm going to protect the water, I'm going to protect the animals. I'm going to generate honest wealth and by honest wealth, I don't just mean that, it, that you're not engaged in criminal activities. I mean wealth that's real wealth. Wealth that's not just numbers on a screen that doesn't mean anything. Something that's genuine. And then in the innermost circle here, we have people who are interested in the arts and skills and the services. So these are people who provide the services for human society. And also people who, uh, you know, like before the days of the factories, you know, people who made chairs and people who made tables. The artists, the singers, the musicians. People who provided the sports people. People who provide entertainment for the society. People who provide goods for the society. People who provide services for the society. So if that's really who you are, if you really enjoy creating things, or you really enjoy engaging in services. And again, we find today, the people in those areas, they're exploiting. They're exploiting, just like all the furniture here has been made in a factory. How much satisfaction are you going to get from making a table as part of an assembly line? Not much. But if that's really your nature, how much satisfaction would you get if you were making that table? 
really making it as, as a craft. And in every society, in every culture, there have been crafts that were passed down from generation to generation. How to create goods, how to create fabric, how to create furniture, cooking utensils, eating utensils, artwork, entertainment, in such a way that the person really felt satisfied and where the things you had were then uplifting to those who used them. I was recently stayed at a friend's house where uh, they collected antique furniture. I mean, I was looking at the house and said, wow, what furniture is in here? He said, yes, yeah, some people's wealth is in jewelry and our wealth is in furniture. A little bit harder to steal, I suppose, <laughs> if your wealth is in huge pieces of furniture. And what was really interesting was the furniture was uplifting. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I mean? It was beautiful. Each piece of furniture, their dining room table, their, their cabinet, everything was a work of art and a work of love and skill. You could, you could sense the person's feeling of satisfaction in the materials. Whereas these things, they don't, these don't uplift anybody, do they? Anybody feel uplifted by this work? No. So in modern society, people are creating music, art, dance, services, goods, that really don't do anything to bring us to a higher platform. Again, they're exploiting. But if that's our area, if those are the things that we love, then the way we connect with the whole is, again, to protect them. To revive and protect the ancient traditional skills, the beauty, the craftsmanship, and to have everything that we create and every way that we serve bring people closer to their sense of flow. So university is meant to discover that. University is meant to discover and to start experiencing now. Where, where do I fit here? What's my area of protection? What's the area I'm meant to protect? Not what's the area am I going to exploit just so I can bring home some money and watch my flat screen TV while I pet my dog. But what's the area where I can protect for the good of the whole? What's the area that I find my place where I fit? Then also understanding who we are, we're not going to talk about this as much, is ashram. Ashram is dealing with life stages. And just like there's four main areas of occupation, according to the Vedas, there's four main areas of life stages. There's, there's four life parts of the life cycle. And the first life cycle is what you're all in as students. The next, the next part of the life cycle is where you have a career and a family. The next is where you're retired. And the next is where one prepares for the great transition of death. And those are the four parts of the life cycle. And in each one of these parts of the life cycle, although we have the same general personality of body and mind throughout our life, as we move through this life cycle, it manifests somewhat differently. So how we can be fully who we are and fit in with the whole as a student is a little different than how we can be fully who we are and fit into the world as somebody earning a living and having a family. And that's a little different as to how we can be fully who we are and fit in the world as someone who's retired and how we can be fully who we are and fit in the world as someone preparing for death. So when one is in the realm of being a student, then the main way that we fit into the whole 
is by studying things which, again, will put us in flow now and help us to realize ourself now. The main way we do in the next phase is realizing that having a career is not just about myself, but it's about giving, giving at least to the family, and then also giving to the society in general, not just amassing a lot of money to get more and more things for myself. And ultimately, though, if that's all that we know, if all that we understand is how can I find my proper occupation and protection, and how can I really connect in the life cycle, we're not going to be completely satisfied. We'll be a lot more satisfied than the average materialistic person in today's society who simply thinks that life is about exploitation and life is about enjoying fruit in the future. I mean, if you're trying to be in the flow now according to how, who we are in these two categories, you'll be 100,000 steps ahead of most other people on the planet today. But we still won't be at the ultimate. So the ultimate is understanding not just this, but also this. Finding out who I really am. So all the religious systems of the world, all the spiritual practices of the world, have that as its intention. Unfortunately, all spiritual practices and all religions, in time, morph into something different than they started. And that's true for our Krishna conscious practice as well. So in our in the history of our Krishna conscious practice, there's been times that it's become degraded and someone had to come and have a revival. Just like this room has to get cleaned. You can't just clean it once. You can't say, okay, I cleaned it once, now it's clean. You can't just bathe your body once, I hope. <laughs> you know, brush your teeth once. You have to keep doing it. So in the same way, systems of spirituality and systems of religion have to keep going through periods of revival. But if you look at the original form of all the great spiritual teachings of the world, you'll see they're all saying the same thing. Find out your real identity and connect with the whole. And connect with the whole how. We talked here about protection instead of exploitation. But when there is protection, protection implies that there's care. And care implies that there's love. So what's that real sense of flow? It's a feeling of love, isn't it? We say that, I love doing this. I love doing this. It's who I am. Right? I love my work. It's love. The essence of being in flow is finding that real self of ours that we love ourselves. And we can't fully love just the body and the mind because the body and mind, my dear friends, is not fully lovable. I mean, all of you are gorgeous. I don't see anybody here who's not gorgeous. But you all look in the mirror and go, perfect. <laughs> no, okay. So, and the body is, can be embarrassing, yes? Can this body be kind of embarrassing? Yeah, I think so. At least my body's embarrassing. And the mind can be embarrassing? Would any of us want to take all the thoughts we had today and just put them unedited on the internet? Probably not. No. So our mind can be embarrassing. So it's kind of hard to fully love ourselves. I mean, we, we want to love ourselves, but it's kind of hard to really love ourselves if this is the only self that we see. If the mind and body is the only self we're dealing with, and flow, my dear friends, is about love. If that's the only self I see, I'm not going to be able to fully love myself. 
I, I'll end up hoping that someday I'll fully love myself. <laughs> I kind of think, well, someday I'll, I'll be like that, and then I'll love myself. It's another one of those future things <laughs> that never really happens. It never really happens, no matter what material plan you make, on the platform of the body and mind. I hate to break this to you. But on the platform of the body and mind, you're never going to be perfect. Never going to be perfect. You can read all the books you want and take all the courses you want and, and make all the psychological adjustments you want. But on the platform of the body and mind, you're never going to get to a point that you say, yes, perfect, I love myself. But we really want to love ourselves. We want to be fully who we are. We really want to love what we do. And we really want to love the center for whom we're doing it. That's the ultimate flow. That's the ultimate being in my element. That I fully love myself, I fully love what I'm doing, and I fully love the center, the whole for which I'm doing it. Does that make sense? Do you follow that? Yeah. On the material level, that's only partial. On the material level, I can partially love my body. My body is not wholly lovable. It just isn't. I can partially love my mind, but my mind is not wholly lovable. There's parts of my body and mind, there's aspects of it that's like, <laughs> I can't on the material level fully love what I'm doing. Because even if I'm working to protect rather than exploit, if I'm on the material level, there will still be fault. And this is in the Bhagavad Gita, when Krishna says, everything we do is covered with fault as there's smoke covering fire. No matter what occupation you take, no matter how you dedicate your life, no matter how much you want to work as a protector, you will sometimes, sometimes you will have aspects of your work that you really wish would go away. There's going to be aspects that are not in harmony with your ideals. There are going to be aspects that are not in harmony with ultimate morality and ethics. It's just the way it is. You might think, well, I'm going to find some place that I'm going to be 100% in line with my ideals and 100% ethical. It's not going to happen. It's just like the body isn't going to be perfect. It's going to be the same kind of thing. And then the center we're working for, the holes we're working for. If these are the holes we're working for, if this is our center, if family is our center, if my race, my ethnicity, my group, my country, humanity, the planet, the universe. If I'm working on that platform, it's going to be the same problem. I'm not, it's not going to be full love. Because I don't know about your family. My family isn't perfect. Okay? I don't love everything about my family. I mean, it's, I find it interesting. There are some religions that say, you know, whatever family you have now, you'll be with eternally. And I think, I don't know if I want to be with eternally. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's some places like you get married in their church and then you're married eternally. It's like, suppose you find that after 25 years you don't really want to be eternally married to that person. It's kind of stuff. And the same with, you know, my group, whatever group I belong to, whatever country I'm in. Like, I'm from America. But America's not a perfect country by any means. It's got some nice things about it and some horrible, embarrassing things and some things that are in the middle. And every country's like that, yes? Yeah. And every group is like that. There's always there's whatever group we belong to, however we define our group, there's certain aspects of it that are like, let's not talk about that, right? So there's always going to be some fault. I can't have perfect, absolute love for my family, or perfect, absolute love for my group, or my country, or humanity, or anything material. So if I want perfect, absolute love for myself and what I'm doing and for the whole, 
then I have to find that that's worthy of that love. I have to find that that's perfect. Therefore, without some sort of spiritual practice, one doesn't maximize one's experience. You just can't. You can't. You, you, you'll always come to a level where, well, that's as far as you can go and you just can't go any further. You know, when people talk about having absolute unconditional love, you, you just can't. Because there are conditions. You can say, I'm sorry. There's this thing about my country I don't love. I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't. There's this thing about my family I don't love. There's this thing about my work I don't love. Yes? Yeah. You can't. It's not honest to say, well, I love everything about my body. I mean, that's just silly. Then how can we experience full flow? So spiritual practices, again, if you look at all the great traditions, they're they're really not that different. I mean, the details are different. So the way that there may be prayer in Christianity or in Catholicism is different from the way that there's prayer in this Protestant sect or that Protestant sect or among the Buddhists or among the Muslims or among different Hindu sects. But the concept of getting in a conversation with the divine is there. Because when we express love, we express love basically through three mediums. Food, gifts, and mental emotional exchanges. Mental, emotional, verbal. Those are the three main ways that we express love. I give you food, you give me food. I give you gifts, maybe I give you objects, maybe I give you time. You give me gifts. And we exchange our thoughts and our feelings, right? So every practice of spirituality says, do this with the divine, do this with God. Connect your food with God, connect your giving with God, and connect your confidences with God. So in Sanskrit we call God Krishna. Krishna means the all-attractive. Karsh means to attract. The Sanskrit word Krishna means the all-attractive. And what's really nice about our understanding of, of God as Krishna it's not just that we have a Sanskrit name for God and that there's so many other names for God, which there are many other names for God. But our, sans- our understanding of Krishna is, I think anyway, or I wouldn't be here, I suppose, really amazing that we understand that God is everywhere and everything and power and force and light and in our heart and in every atom. And God is also a really nice person. And he's not an old man. Who would like to be an old man? I mean, if you're God, do you want to be an old man? Right? I don't particularly like getting old. It's not a lot of fun. So you'd like to have the wisdom of being an old person, the experience of being an old person, but with the vigor and the beauty and the energy of youth. Right? Materially, we tend to have one or the other. Of course, when you're young, you think you know everything. That's another topic. But wouldn't it be cool to be young and actually know everything? So that's God. So God's eternally young. He always has the mood of about a 15-year-old. He's very playful. He's always in the state of flow. Everything he does is play. In Sanskrit, it's called lila, which we usually translate as pastime. 
that everything he does is to pass the time. Of course, there's no time, it's always the present. But everything he does is lila, everything he does is kriya, everything he does is play. That God doesn't have any work. He doesn't have anything that's work. Everything he does is simply play. And he's extremely beautiful. He's youthful, he's beautiful, he's very funny, he's very humorous. Every once in a while we can see that whoever's running the show is humorous, can't you? Sometimes in like the funny coincidences of your life, you think, well, who's ever running the show has a sense of humor? So he's 15. He's eternally 15. He's eternally 15. And yet he's the oldest. So he knows everything. He controls everything. But he's just engaged in well, what we would have is the ideal. So in the spiritual world, everything is alive. We were talking about furniture that elevates you. So in the spiritual kingdom of God, the furniture is all alive. There's no matter. Everything is spiritual. The water is alive. The houses are alive. Everything is, is a fully conscious person. There's no, there's no time. There's no decay. Everything is simply play. Uh, they're engaged in, in you know, beautiful mansions and forests and having picnics and playing games. and Whatever we would have is the ideal here. Kind of an, an eternal, amazing teenage party. Very seriously. And that that's the ultimate reality. So in our Krishna consciousness movement, we're using these things, food, gifts, and exchanges, to always have that connection with Krishna. And as we get that connection with Krishna, we start realizing the real me. The real me starts to awaken. The real me is a part of God. The real me is also spiritual. And the real me is also wonderful. For all of us, our real self is eternally young, beautiful, with nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed about, with no difficulties, with no faults, full of spiritual power and full of spiritual knowledge. And one can access that self. One doesn't have to leave university and go to the Himalayan mountains and meditate in a cave in order to realize that self. You can do that in a university experience by saying, okay, I'm going to start with figuring out who I am on the body and mind platform. I'm going to start with that, and I'm going to start connecting that in a mood of protection and care and love with the real center. And I'm going to be working on connecting now and now and now and now and now. And in that, in the, while I'm doing that process, I'm going to be really working on having loving exchanges with the real center. So that at every moment I'm in the university, I'm going to feel that sense of flow and connection. And then not only am I going to be fully happy now, whatever happens later, but also I'm setting up for a life where that gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And then one has something far, far, far beyond. Oh, you've got a successful career. I mean, it's not even in the same league. And far beyond, well, I have something that gives me some sense of satisfaction. We take, take that sense of satisfaction and flow we have when we're doing something we love and multiply it and multiply it until it goes into infinity. That's what we really want. And one can do that now. One doesn't have to be here just as a preparation. And be with other people who want to do that. And don't spend too much time with people who are all just future-oriented. 
or people who are all on, or people who the kind of people that you don't want to spend too much time with are people who are trying to exploit people who don't care about their talents people who find out what their talents are and want to use them to exploit people who are only future oriented people who think they're nothing but this body and mind you want to spend your time and energy primarily become intimate with people who have some idea that hey I'm not just this body and this mind I want to find out who I really am and I want to be connected to the center in love so of course one of our main practices for connecting and having this exchange is just saying Krishna's name so of course we're all famous for that right you all know that we Hare Krishnas are famous for saying Hare Krishna we have our Hare Krishna mantra Hare Krishna Hare Krishna Krishna, Krishna, Hari, Hari. Hari Rama, Hari Rama, 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 Hari Hari. Do you all know that mantra? No, some of you, yes, some of you know. Okay, so this is one of our main ways of connecting with the center and awakening ourselves. Very, oops, very simple. Hare, you don't say that here. You say it, Hare. And Krishna. And that's repeated. Hare Krishna. 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 We should have had a sign. Yes, we should have. Hare. Hare. And I'm going to run out of room. I am. I am. Hare. Rama. I'm going to start putting in them online. Hare. Rama, again, the same pattern. Rama, Rama. Hare, Hare. So I talked about how Krishna means the all-attractive, Rama means the source of unlimited pleasure. And Krishna and Rama refer to the ultimate reality, the ultimate center, as male, Hare means one who takes away all anxiety and fear and refers to the ultimate center as female. So combined, Hare and Krishna are the full reality of the origin of male and female. And this is in Sanskrit. In the Sanskrit language, you change names, you change the form of a name when you're talking to somebody. So this particular form is a form of, of speaking to. It's not speaking about so when we're chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, we're coming into a, a kind of confidential, intimate, and loving exchange with the center. And just by meditating on this mantra in any circumstance, one gets that connection to the center and gradually awakens oneself. So I know our timing was a little strange here and people had to come in and out and go to classes, but does any of you have any questions or, or anything else that you'd like to discuss? we always be humble? Uh, well, first of all, most materialistic people don't even want to be humble. 
So your first step in always being humble is figuring out that humility brings you happiness and peace and pride doesn't. So that's the, the first thing you have to do is want to be humble. So that means finding out what humility is. So again, most materialistic people in the world, they, they think happiness is going to come through arrogance. I'm the greatest, I'm wonderful, and I've done all these things. That, and most people think that if they're humble, it means that they're kind of wimpy. And, and you know, well, I'm not doing great at anything. <laughs> most people think humility is that. So if you think humility is that, you're not going to figure out how to do it because you won't really want to do it. Does that make sense? Basically, real humility means you, you're free from all the pretense. You don't have to put up a bunch of masks. You can be who you are. You don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. That's what real humility means, among, among some other things. But I've, I've analyzed humility in basically two main areas, one with, with two sub-areas. So the first area is just being fully authentic. Fully authentic. That as a spiritual being, as part of Krishna, as a spiritual being, I am important, I am valuable, I have meaning, I am wonderful. From a material perspective, I'm nothing. From a material perspective, I'm a little speck in the universe, and most people in this world couldn't care less what I ate for breakfast, or even if I live or die. That's the fact. I'm sorry. You know, I ask thousands of people if they remember the names of their great-great-grandparents, and hardly anybody does. Anybody here know the names of their great-great-grandparents? That means your grandchildren's grandchildren will not know your name. Yeah, how important are we? That's my own family. They wouldn't even know my name. What to speak of all the wonderful things that I did and, you know. They're not going to care to read my diary. They're not going to care about me at all. They're not practically going to know I existed. So on the material level, that's the truth. The truth is, you know, when I die, there's going to be one sentence in the newspaper. Funeral ceremonies will be held today at 2 o'clock for Edith Best. She is survived by, you know, so many children, so many grandchildren, and she was an international speaker. That's it. All my thoughts, all my dreams, all my feelings, all my relationships, all my accomplishments. I mean, if you're a really, really big person, you can get two or three paragraphs, you know. <laughs> so humility is knowing that on a material level, I am so unimportant. And that's such a relief, my dear friends. You don't have to pretend to be a big, important person in the material sphere. Such a relief. We all go around pretending, I am important. I am important. Yes, I am. But we're not. You can just let go of that. You can just be who you are, and it's, just, it's such a cool thing. Now, you can only do that when you have a sense that spiritually you're important, because we all have some desire to be important. We all have some desire to have meaning. If all we are is material beings, then that's pretty depressing, Yes? That's why we put on the pretense. Because if I'm just a material being, then I have to face the fact of how outrageously insignificant I am, then I would just be depressed. And I don't want to be honest about it. I want to pretend that I'm important materially because I want to be important somewhere. So I have to start out with realizing I'm really, really important on the spiritual level. Not because technically I'm important, but I'm important because there's love. You know, when you love somebody or something, it's important. It's not important in and of itself. It's important because you love them. So when there's love between me and Krishna, then I'm really important. I'm really important to Krishna just because there's love. 
And when you feel that and you meditate on that, then you don't have to be pretend to be important in a realm where we ain't never going to be important. And all of the things we're proud of, they're all borrowed, huh? They don't belong to me. How do I know they don't belong to me? I can lose them that fast, right? How fast can I lose my beauty, my knowledge, my money, my fame, my health? All of them I can lose in like two seconds, right? Without warning. I don't even have to get a warning letter. Warning, warning. You're going to lose your reputation, you know? All of a sudden somebody can just start speaking lies about you and that's the end of that. So what do I have? So that's humility also, is what do I have? Everything I have is borrowed. Everything I have is lent to me. Everything I have really belongs to Krishna. How can I be proud of it? It's like I'm driving somebody else's car. Oh, that's a really nice car. Well, it's not mine, it's my friend's. How are you going to be proud of it? So that's also a relief. Because it's very hard if I'm proud of things that I can't keep and they aren't mine. It's, it's a strain. You're, at, you're, you're, you're having this strain to try to pretend that it's yours and you can keep it. So it, it's again, it's just relief. It's this liberation that, oh, these are all Krishnas and they're meant to be used for, for him and love. I can have some pride that I'm using them for Krishna. That's, that's okay. But humility is, is real. So if you meditate on reality, you will automatically be humble. Humility is, is just another way of saying being honest and authentic about who I, who I really am and what I really have. And there's more, but I don't have time to get into that. Anybody else have a question? Yes? How do, how do we get to a point where we align consciousness and we, we meditate and do everything, but how do you like deprogram yourself from all the programming that's going on in society? Oh, what a good question. The, you, you get rid of all of the lies by being absorbed in truth. If you fill yourself with truth, the lies will automatically go away. Because truth is so much more attractive than lies. How do you stop eating junk food? Buy real food. You know, they sell this stuff in the shop that, in America, we call it like juicy juice. It's not really juice. It's water with some chemical color and some chemical flavor and some sugar and maybe, you know, like 1% real fruit juice. Right? You have that stuff here, I assume? Yeah, okay, well then, go, go out to your tree and pick a mango. Grow a mango tree in your backyard and pick a mango in season, tree-ripened mango, organically grown right in your backyard and make some mango juice and put that next to the chemical water. Won't be a problem. I mean, perhaps some people would prefer the chemical water, but for most of us, it wouldn't be a problem. Once we have the real thing, the, the false thing is not attractive. So if you want to get rid of, of all the lies in the programming, you are just this body. Pretend that you're important in the world on the material platform. Pretend that you're wonderful in the world on the material platform. Just make a lot of money and have a big house and a flat screen TV and a dog and you will be happy. You know, if you want to get rid of that, which is a bunch of... Then, then you have to substitute the real thing. That the way I'm really going to be happy and the way I'm really going to be successful is to awaken who I am. And that's going to include material happiness. If I awaken who I am, then I'm also going to be happy on the platform of my life cycle and my career. It's going to spread out from there. So that's what our Hare Krishna society is for. 
Do you want to know the details of how to do that? So that, this is really more like an overview and an introduction. That's what our society is for. We're a group of people all over the world from all different countries and all different ethnicities and all different races and men and women and old and young and all different backgrounds. We, we are a very, very international society. I travel all over the world. I mean, we have our societies in China and it's in Brazil and it's in, you know, everywhere. It's in Russia, wherever you go, who are dedicated to finding the spiritual and to helping each other in that respect. And it really helps to have friends who are also looking for the real. You know, if all your friends are drinking chemical juice, then they might make fun of you for drinking your real mango juice. Isn't that a shame? That's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. It's awful. It's really awful. Ew, what are you drinking that for? Because uh, it's about 10 million times better tasting and better for my health. And, and they don't even try it, you know. They don't even try it. They're just there with their chemical stuff. So you don't want to have too many intimate friends like that. It's, it's hard because we, we want to be accepted by people. So if everybody around us is just drinking the false stuff. Okay, I'm going to enjoy in the future. <laughs> and it's, then it's hard to get out of that programming. So the, the first step is just, yeah, you know, there's something more than this lie that we're given. And we're given this lie so people can exploit us, by the way. You know, buy this, do this, and then you'll be happy. And it's, a, it's a lie. Unfortunately, the people who are exploiting us, they're not happy either. You don't get happy by exploiting they're, they're just as dissatisfied. So the next step is to choose your friends, choose your society, choose your association of people who really support you in that journey and help you in that journey. That doesn't mean you can't, you know, you can't be friends with materialistic, exploited people. But that, if, that's, if that's your main sustenance that will be very difficult. So therefore we have a society. Okay, thank you very much. Rukmini, do we have any books or anything like that for people? Okay, I think we